Well, it's a blessing to be here with this morning. Um, today, I feel like this, today's a, a day of first for those of you that are here with us for the first time. Um, we've got Adam back there doing the slides and the sound system for the first time today, doing a great job. That's, I don't know if you've ever done that, that's nerve-wracking. Um, Tracy read scripture and prayed for the first time today. Man. And, and we've had our, our first two baptisms in the building. Uh, I just feel like today is a great day. Um, and I uh, appreciate Michael filling in, uh, letting Jared be with his family after a passing of a loved one. So they're down in Louisiana. And uh, so we're just giving them that, that time off, letting them be with their family and, and, uh, and shepherd leading their family through that. So um, if you're here with us today for the first time, if, if this is your first time being with us, man, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. If you, if you want to, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 17. We're going to uh, be looking at Acts 17, walking through that, the latter half of the passage. Um, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can use one of the blue Bibles in the chairs. And if you don't own a Bible, man, we love you. We want you to have a Bible. Take that home with you. Consider that to be your Bible. That's our blessing to you. Um, we just want God's word to go out. Um, man, I, I, this isn't in my sermon, but I just, I just feel like it's just awesome. An eight-year-old kid coming to Jesus Christ saying amen. I mean, I envy that. I didn't come to Christ till I was 22. Um, you know, I mean, that's eight years old, a whole life. And Andy, you're, I'm just thinking how blessed your family is, um, that, that you have a, you have, your son's going to have a father who, who loves Jesus, who's home. It's just, I feel blessed today. I just feel like I just want to, I just want to say that to say thank you, God, for, for doing what you're doing and just being a part of that. It's a great thing to be a part of the movements of God. Um, oftentimes we pray, God, can we see you move? But when you're in it, it's, it's a whole other feeling. And so four baptisms in six weeks, I mean, that's just, what a sweet thing, isn't it? Sweet thing. All right, so uh, as you're opening up to Acts 17, I have a question for you. Let's say, hypothetically, you're, you're traveling along one day. Uh, it's a, you're in a mountain or somewhere. It's a snowy day, and the snow's coming down. It's getting worse and worse. Um, and suddenly the inevitable happens. You're outside a cell phone service, so you can't update your Facebooks and Twitter feeds. And so you start to panic. You're not sure what to do. Like, I've never been detached from the Internet before. And then you get the car stuck. And ladies, it's probably the husband's fault because you told him not to go down that road anyways, but he went. Um, you, you have a, 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 a question that needs to be answered, answered in that moment. Do you, A, um, wait in the car for help? No cell phone service, no one to call, the snow is coming. You got maybe an hour or two left of darkness uh, or of, of light before it gets dark. Or do you get out of the car and go try to find help? And so as, as you think about that question, uh, for me, there's a wrestle. I don't, I don't know if I could stay and wait for somebody to help. Like, there's a part of me that says, you know what? I'm going to go save the day. I'm going to get out. I've watched enough survival shows. Bell Grylls, Bear Grylls, got, he doesn't have anything on me. Like, I should have that show. I mean, who, guy eats a snake, big deal, right? And, and so I struggle with waiting in the car. So I just want you to think about this for a second because there's a, there's a struggle in the human heart that we, we wrestle with that says, do we save ourselves or do we have somebody save us? And, and so if you can think about that in the car, what would you do? Would you, would you wait for someone to save you? Would you trust that somebody's going to come? Because that's, that's what they say, right? That's what the smart people do and the dead people get out of the car and go, um, whether you're in a desert or in a mountain somewhere. And so do you, do you wait for somebody to come? Because here's what Paul's going to tell us today. Paul's going to tell us, essentially, we should stay in the car. Paul's going to tell us that there's no work we can perform 
to rescue ourselves. And for men, think about that. I've never met a dude that says, I can't wait for my knight in shining armor to come rescue me. I've just, I've never heard a guy say that before. And so when we talk about being rescued, when we talk about somebody doing the work for us, I think we have to acknowledge that that kind of goes against the human heart. That goes against what we have inside of us. And so Paul is going to illustrate to the Athenians that Jesus does the work. Jesus does the rescuing, and it's Jesus who gives the laws. And so as we read through this passage, what I want you to see is kind of the human struggle to do the work ourselves to save ourselves. As, as that runs, not parallel, because it's not parallel, with Jesus doing the work to save us. And so let's, let's open up and read verses 16 through 21 together in chapter, uh, chapter 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day, with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So, so that's the scene. So Paul comes before the Athenians in this, this court system called the Areopagus. And you have to understand, the charge that was just labeled to Paul was essentially a death sentence. A couple hundred years before this, Socrates went and stood before the same court, and they made the same charge to him, and then they murdered him. And so Paul is standing in this court, and he's preaching Jesus Christ to people who have no historical background at all. They don't know who Jesus is. This is completely new to him. And they say, you're a babbler. Um, I've been called that once or twice. And so I was like, hey, I'm in good company with Paul. Um, that's not the worst thing in the world to be called. If someone says you're a babbler, uh, unless they're saying it about your sermon, then that is a bad thing. And so hopefully people don't say that about your sermon. And uh, so, so they say, you're a babbler, but then you, you bring some strange teachings. And so Paul is standing before this court system, and he has a choice. He can continue to preach Jesus Christ. He can continue to profess Jesus Christ, or he can recognize the danger that he is in. And the beautiful thing is, Paul does something that is an example for all of us, is that he not only talks to the Athenians, but he talks to them in a way that they can understand. And so I, I want you, if you have some time afterwards, Go back and read, I think it's in the 13th chapter of Acts, where Paul talks to Antioch. Compare these two sermons, and you'll see how drastically different they are. And so Paul is standing before these courts, and he begins to talk in verse 22. This is his sermon. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. And I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so Paul's walking. He's been through their city. And you have to understand, in Athens, there are over 30,000 gods. That's a lot of gods. So Paul's walking. He's seeing all of these temples. And then he comes along and he sees an inscription of an unknown God. Now, I want to I ask you, I don't know how many temples there were. I didn't look it up. 
But if you have 30,000 gods, that's a lot of temples. So Paul's seen all the investment, all the work that the Athenians have done, all of the time that they have labored chasing after 30,000 gods. But that's a lot of gods, isn't it? Like, what if there was a test and you had to remember all of them? Like, let's start at number 2,000 and keep going up. That's crazy. And what's funny, and I, I find it maybe I shouldn't because this is someone's real life, is how the unknown God came about. And so there was a plague in Athens, and the answer or the genius idea was, hey, there's a plague. I know what to do. This, was, this had to have been a guy's decision. We will let sheep run through the city, and wherever the sheep lie down, we'll murder them, and we'll, we'll sacrifice them to the God that is in front of that altar. And so if the sheep are running through the city, could you imagine that scene? Like, who comes up with that idea? Honey, what are you doing today? We're going to have some sheep running through the city to stop this plague. This is a good idea. And if the sheep stop where there's no God, we're going to sacrifice them to an unknown God. That way, we cover all of our bases. Well, how many sheep do we have? Can you count sheep for two gods? Like if you're in halfway in between? Do you see? I mean, it's a bit absurd. But Paul doesn't come to him and say, hey, you guys are idiots. There's 30,000 gods. He says, you guys are very religious. And he looks and he says, you guys sacrifice to this unknown God who can actually be known. But think of the work that it took to sacrifice thousands of sheep to 30,000 gods. Think about the anxiety and the fear that they had. Like, at what point do we satisfy the anger of a God so that we can appease him to stop this plague? And I can imagine that there were parents in that group whose kids were dying and their, their anguish because, hey, this doesn't make any sense. This is my favorite God or one of my favorite gods. We've sacrificed to him and my kids still die. And so you can see kind of a picture of the human heart. Do you stay in the car or do you get out? What the Athenians did is they got out and they not only went out, but they went overboard. And there's a picture for you and me to recognize that we are naturally hardwired to rescue ourselves. We don't want to say that, you know what, it's God doing the work to reach us. It's God who has taken the step towards us. We want to be the people who go out and we say, you know what, we're going to define our own God. We're going to make our own God, because if we can define our own God and put him in the box the way we want him, then we're in control of the situation. And so there's a great deal of security. And how good does it feel when you put it in the box and it turns out exactly the way you wanted it? It feels, it feels good. And you guys are like, I'm not for me. I don't know. Apparently no one else struggles with control issues in here. And so I, apparently it's just me. And so when you put it in the box and it works the way you want to, you say, man, this is remarkable. This is a good thing. And so could you imagine at some point the plague had to have stopped and they said, surely that God is the one. I want to say something to you here. If your God does not draw near to you in your time of need, he is not a God at all. We have a God that does not abandon us when the plagues come. We have a God who draws near to us. We have a God who said that you don't have to do the sacrifices because he has done the sacrifice for us. We have a God who has made himself known, and we don't have to wonder with fear and anxiety, is there another God? There's a wrestle in the human heart to know God. And one of the things as I'm, as I'm reading this, as I'm looking at the Athenians, I'm reminded of what uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. It's a very popular verse. You guys probably know it. It says, what has been is what will be, 
And what has been done will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. You know, one of the things that we do when we read histories, we tend to say, you know what? We're, we're nothing like them. But how many gods do we have today? If we were to be honest, where do we turn in times of struggle? We turn to entertainment. We still chase after news, just like the Athenians. But the reason why Paul was able to go before the court system was because they hungered to hear new news. We argue over what news is today, and we say some of it's fake, some of it's new, but I don't know. We just want a lot of it. So we are just like the Athenians. We chase after gods. We chase after anything that makes us feel satisfied, and we know what we're chasing after by, in those tough moments, what brings us satisfaction.